until you heal yourself, Jamar, until you go through the process of finding therapy and getting these emotions out of you, you don't even realize you're doing anything wrong a lot of times. Yeah. That's what people with problems have or any kind of addiction or whatever. When you got these problems or whatever, you don't realize you actually have a problem until you wake up one morning like, you know what, look yourself in the mirror and then you say, man, this is hurting me. I really have a problem and I need to do something about it. So when I got that help that I needed, became the wake up call I needed. And uh, thank God it did because, you know, it's salvaging my relationship with my kids and everybody else in my life. Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the Fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and as always, welcome. I'm going to jump right into today's episode because I have a very special guest who's taking time out of his busy schedule to chop it up with me. You've seen him everywhere on ESPN, on FS1. You can hear him on Fox Soul, and every once in a while, he'll he'll make a cameo appearance on Bravo. So my man, Mike Hill, welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. Jamar, what's happening, man? Thanks for having me on, brother. Anytime, man. Thank you so much. Just for the listeners, give you a brief background. Mike and I go back uh, almost 15 years. I met him in Connecticut during our both our ESPN days. Had some good times uh, there at work and outside of work. We won't go too too deep into that, but is uh, I will say that that time flies, man. It was a great great period of time, at least for me. So. Um, just was, man. Hey, I, I will. I will. I want to thank you first and foremost because uh, outside of you, there was really no entertainment <laughs> <laughs> uh, for for us at at ESPN. So I really appreciate uh, the events that you threw, that you put on, that you allowed me to come through, man. So I can kind of get some, um, you know, some rest and relaxation, man, and just enjoy uh, some good times with some good people. So I appreciate you. Yeah, man. Shout out to, to Nick and Brian. We we did some we did some things back in the day. You know, all of us are family. <laughs> all of us are family, man. Now, so it's kind of funny how to see how how life life works out. So, so Mike, uh, let's, let's just jump right into conversation. Obviously, you're very well known, but for those people who don't know you, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I, I think a lot of people recognize me or realize, uh, you know, see me from ESPN. I'm that dude that, you know, was never really famous, never one of the big anchors there or whatnot, but somebody that could be recognized because people watch ESPN all the time. I was that guy that was like, oh, that's old boy. Yeah, yeah I thought I saw you. I thought I recognized I was that guy. So I was at ESPN for nine years and the last seven years been over at Fox, Fox Sports. And now I got my own talk show on uh, Fox. So uh, my, my biggest accomplishment, though, and, and one of the big reasons why I actually wanted to do this with you and I'm honored and privileged to do this with you is because you know, I'm a father of two girls. I call them girls, but they're grown. Uh, one's 18. One just turned 21 years old. Uh, they're my heart and joy. They're my soul. And I got engaged last year. 
uh, to uh, Cynthia Bailey, uh, as you mentioned, being on Bravo and Real Housewives of Atlanta. And she has a daughter who's about to turn 21 years old, who's my bonus daughter. So uh, that means a lot to me, man. And uh, that's a big part of my life. And uh, that's, once again, out of all the accomplishments that I've ever had in my life, being a father is the biggest one of all. Well, let's, let's stay there, Mike. So when you're talking about being a father, what does that mean to you? It means everything. It means I got to be the sole provider, not necessarily sole provider, but I got to be the provider uh, when nobody else is ever going to be there. I got to be the protector most, first and foremost. I have two daughters uh, and we know how society is today when it comes to our black women. Uh, so I want to be the example uh, instead of the person that you know, they run away from the person that I used to be. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I wanted to be kind of transparent about the life that I used to live and how I used to be or whatnot. So I want to be their confidant. I want to be their protector. I want to be their provider. Like I said, uh, I want to be their guy. I want to be their ears when they need to talk to somebody. Uh, it just means the world to me, man. It's just like uh, it's everything. One of the reasons why I have been able to accomplish so much is because I've been fueled by wanting to be able to provide for my kids. When I was young, uh, I didn't have a lot of things. And my mom, as much as she tried, she just couldn't afford it. And I never had a real positive male role model in my life. My fathers were really never there for me uh, in the aspects that I, that I needed them to be. So I made a pledge to myself when I was young that when I had kids, that I was going to do everything I could possibly do uh, to be the best father they could possibly have. Uh, I made some mistakes along the way, some hiccups, ups and downs, whatever. But uh, by the grace of God and counseling and therapy, you know, I'm finally kind of getting it right. That's awesome, man. You touched on uh, not having that father figure growing up, but um, who were some men, uh, maybe in your professional life or in the military that you looked up to from a fatherhood perspective that you said, hey, when I become a dad or now that I'm a father, this is who I want to to pattern my approach to to being a dad after? You know, the sad thing about it is, Jamar, is that I really didn't have like that many. Um, and, and that's why I made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I'm not trying to blame any other person because uh, ultimately, you know, you're going to be judged based on your actions in life. Uh, but, you know, like I said, my biological father was never there. My stepfather was not the prime example to have when it came to raising a child, even though he loved me and I felt his love. He just, you know, he had a lot of demons, a lot of uh, issues in, in his past. So um, when it came to the examples, I I guess there was something that was innate in me uh, that knew right from wrong. And so when you look at it, when I was growing up, I grew up in the 80s, the 70s and 80s Mm -hmm. as a child. Uh, Cliff Huxtable. (laughs) Despite everything that's going on, you see with Bill Cosby right now, Cliff Huxtable was that first example of a black father that I saw that I was like, man, I I want what he has and I want to be able to do for my kids what he's doing for his kids and I want my kids to look at me the way his kids are looking at him. Later in life, I I, I met a young lady, my first wife. She had an uncle. His name happened to be Michael Hill, who was a good father, a good husband. uh, And I I sort of looked up to him and and asked him for some advice. But I didn't really have that many male role models when it came to being a good father. But, you know, thankfully, uh, I've learned and figured it out along the way. Yes, that's great, man. You mentioned some of the mistakes you made and all of us have, uh, even us young fathers, still making those mistakes as we try to figure this thing out. But how did fatherhood, you know, as you made those mistakes, how did that change you personally and, and as well as your approach to life? 
it, it well, fatherhood it changed me personally in my approach to life because you know, as you're reading the book, man, I was you know I was a womanizer. I mm-hmm. was somebody who uh, com- you know had a lot of infidelities when it came to their moms. Um, I didn't know a lot. Uh, you know, I just once again I, I keep going back to not having the examples or whatnot. So I had to learn on the fly when it came to a lot of these type of things, whatnot. But uh, I think later in life, I, I just remember this one story. Um, that I always tell people that kind of made me kind of turn a switch when it came to changing my life as far as being a father's concern. I always wanted to protect them, always wanted to be there and always wanted to provide for them. But I always thought providing for them and was as long as I'm giving them money that they was fine. Mm-hmm. Quality time is way more important uh, for young children these days than any money that you can give them. Quality time and giving them uh, good examples and giving them good advice in life. But there was this one story that um, I remember watching television with my second wife and uh, my daughters were getting a little bit older and there was something that was on television and it was a sexy woman or whatnot and she was there and I was, like, I was making these little rude comments. You know, I think I'm a comedian sometimes or whatever, so I was saying something real silly as shit and I said something on television and then she just looked at me she said, you know you have daughters, right? Yeah. And when she said that, something went off in my head and I realized that this woman that I was objectifying on the screen, thinking that it's funny, that she has a father, too. And I thought about what would he think of me saying this about his daughter, because I know what I would think if someone was saying what I was saying about my daughters. And I heard it. So it changed me. So that was one of the biggest changes that I had, man. But just, you know, overall in life, just making sure that I'm setting the example so that they don't make the same mistake by being with someone like I used to be back in the day. And that's the biggest thing. Yeah, that's great. And kind of leads me to the next question I had, Mike. Um, The challenges that you've encountered as a dad, specifically in raising daughters, you you have two young ladies now who are are young women now. And how do you deal with, you know, some things that they may face uh, when they're outside of your, your sight? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you can't always, you can't watch them all the time. You want to protect them, obviously. But uh, one of the things that I've learned a long time ago, what I wanted to establish with my daughters, is that they could, you know, trust me in a sense. And they mm-hmm. can come to me and they could be transparent with me. They can talk to me. And I'm not going to treat them like a child. I'm not going to be friends with them, but I will be friendly. And when you're that way, and that's just my approach, I'm not saying it works for everybody else, but that's my approach. I wanted them to be honest with me about everything that they're doing, everything that they're going through, and I wasn't going to judge them for them. Now, I would give them advice, and I would tell them what I felt like was right and wrong. Obviously, I would be a disciplinarian, and if they were doing anything to hurt themselves or hurt anybody else, Obviously, I would, I would, I would try and stop it or whatnot. But at the same time, you know, I always wanted them to feel comfortable being able to come to me and talk to me about anything that's going on in their life. Whether it's like, you know, my my oldest daughter obviously is active now. You know, mm-hmm. my oldest daughter uh, is fluid. You know, uh, mm-hmm. so is Cynthia's daughter. She's very, she's fluid. She's a lesbian now. So uh, all that type of stuff. I, I wanted them to be able to talk to me and say, look, you know what? This is who I am. This is what I want to do in life. Uh, these are my, my principles, my guidelines, these are my passions. And I, I think that approach has kind of helped us when it comes to our relationship. And so I kind of know what's going on in their lives so I can feel 
when they're going through sadness, anger, depression, or if they're happy, I can always tell. I got that energy. I feel that vibe from them. And they feel comfortable coming to me and explaining why they're feeling that way. So it's kind of worked out for us. Oh, that's great, man. And for a new dad like me, relatively new, my son's almost two years old. And for a lot of the listeners of this podcast who have younger um, kids, I guess the question I would have, Mike, is what do you wish you knew when you um, first became a dad in those early years that, that you learned later on uh, in your quote unquote dad career? Yeah, I, I kind of mentioned it earlier. It's like I, I wish I would have known that quality time was way more important than um, monetary things. Yeah, you know, um, you know, just you know, gifts and, and and checks and whatnot. You know, I wish I would have been able to spend more time with them as they were younger. I mean, I don't know if it was because they were girls growing up, and you know, I mean, but you know, I played with them with the dolls and tea and all that type of stuff but i wish i would have spent more time with them and i wish i would have learned more from them and i wish they would have learned more from me and i wish i would have actually had the time uh that's the that's really the only thing man and then obviously you know with their mothers i wish i would have had a better relationship overall with them and not done some of the things some of the stupid stuff that i did in our relationships or whatnot because you know that affects them you know um my mom you know, like I said, I didn't have a male role model in my life. And I, it affected me seeing the things that my mom had to go through with, you know, uh, any man that was in her life, whether it was my biological father or my stepfather. So all that type of stuff affected me as a kid. So I wish that I could have done a better job of shielding them from some of the stuff that me and their moms were going through. And then also just spending a lot more quality time with them. And I would definitely do all that stuff differently because I think it affected our relationship for a long period of time. And now... You know, hopefully a lot of that stuff has been mended and repaired and now we're just kind of moving in the right direction. Great, man. Talking to Mike Hill today on the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm happy to have him uh, join me and drop some jewels on on us, uh, the listeners. So, Mike, you you just turned 50, man. So ha- happy birthday to you. <laughs> how, does it, how does that feel? I mean, that, that's a milestone uh, birthday, man. Yeah, it, you know, it feels great. Be honest with you, man. I, you know, a lot of people say it doesn't you didn't feel any different. You know, I, I, I disagree. I mean, for me, I feel refreshed i feel vibrant i don't feel old i don't feel like i'm in another decade i looked at 50 as a rebirth Mm -hmm. i looked at 50 as a restart you know my my life is starting all over again you know writing that book and putting that book out on that same day of my as my birthday one of the reasons i want to do that is because i wanted to put my past in my past and i wanted to look forward now so you know physically i feel great mentally i feel the sharpest ever emotionally i feel fine uh, and I'm learning and continuing to grow with mental therapy and mental health, man. And, you know, I'm getting tattoos, more yeah. tattoos. I'm just living my life and doing things like Wor- that. Working and, out. You know, working out. Yeah. You know, I've been doing that for a minute. So I'm just trying to get my body right back in the, in the shape that it should be in. And, you know, you know, a lot of people look at it and say, well, you know, is he going through a midlife crisis? No, nah, I, I don't like that word crisis at all. I'm never going to accept crisis in my life or negativity. I look at it as a new life attitude. That's my my definition. Ain't a midlife crisis, a new life attitude, because the next 25, 30, 40, 50 years, wherever God has uh, in store for me on the face of this earth, for the rest of my life, I'm going to live it like it's the best years of my life, man. And that's my attitude. Great, man. You you mentioned the the book a couple of times. I want to get to that now. It's called Open Mic. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about it. The book is my memoirs, man. It's something that 
you know, I wasn't going to put out. Um, it was something that I didn't say that I wanted to sell a lot of copies of. I'm happy that it is or whatever and, and that it's doing well or whatnot. But at the same time, it was more so this book was for me because I needed to put it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of hurt, uh, a lot of things that I had suppressed for so many years that I didn't even realize that was inside of me that was literally killing me from the inside out. Um, you know, if you'd have seen me three, four years ago, I was telling everybody at the time I felt that way, that I was the happiest I've ever been in my life mentally, uh, and, 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 and well, mentally and, and, and as far as professionally is concerned, I was just really happy. I mean, put on that facade, but on the inside I was dying. And for some reason, even though I was putting on this happy face, I would cry all the time for no reason. I'd be alone and I would just start crying Mm -hmm. and I'm not a crier. I'm not that person. I was told a long time ago not to do that. And I didn't know why. And so something told me you got to write this book. And I started writing and I started, you know, uncovering a lot of these traumas that I had in my life, man, that people can read about in the book. And it became my therapy. And the more I started writing, the more I couldn't stop writing. And I had to get it all out, man. So, you know, as you read the book from my mom, domestic violence, my dad, finding out about his life, his secret life, and why he went to prison the last nine years of his life, and best friend being killed in the drive-by shooting, my marriages, ESPN, the ups and downs, the racism that I face in this industry, all that type of stuff, my relationship with my kids, all that stuff is in the book. And, uh, you know, I hope people can get something out of my pain that can help them uh, heal themselves if they feel like they got a little bit of uh, what I'm, I've gone through inside of them right now. Yeah, that's great. I encourage everyone to, to get a copy of that and support Mike and his efforts. But, but Mike, you know, for a lot of fathers, we, we can relate to what you all you just described there. I mean, we experienced a lot of that. Um, but everyone doesn't have that outlet, um, the platform that you that you have. So what advice would you give some fathers who are struggling with some of the things that you, you described? Um, what are some things they can do um, to to help, you know, manage some of that stress, manage that the, the anxiety and maybe the pressure that they're experiencing? Well, I mean, I think people, even though if they don't have a platform, they still have skills of being able to speak and talk yeah. about it. We have got to get out of this whole um, idea that if you speak to somebody, a professional, about your issues, the things that are going on inside of you, that you're weak. And I'm telling you that that makes you stronger when you do speak out about it. We're taught as young men, you know, don't talk to anybody. Don't tell people your business. Give it to God. Give it to Jesus. You know, don't be emotional. Don't cry. Mm-hmm. All those type of things. You hold that in because we're always told, man, you just need to man up. Well, I'm telling people right now, the more you man up, when you have something like that inside of you, sooner or later, it's going to be man down. Yeah. When I say man down, it's going to be six feet down because you're literally killing yourself. So get it out in the open, man. Speak to somebody, a counselor, if you can't afford a therapist. Talk to your pastor. Talk to somebody that you trust, a best friend. But get all this stuff, these emotions, these tears, this anger, sadness, everything that's going on inside of you that is literally killing you. Get it out of your body and get the help that you need. And don't be afraid to do so. That's great. So, so Mike... Um, talking to Mike Hill today on the Fatherhood Podcast, someone who's been very visible in his professional career on TV, radio. Um, but in recent years, Mike, you've been introduced to a whole new audience who may not have known you from the sports world. Um, how's that been for you, one? And, and as a father, how did you prepare your girls for that that newfound fame from the audience that, that comes in from the Bravo crowd? That's a real good question, man. Uh, it's different. You know, like being on ESPN is one thing. Being on Bravo on Real Housewives of Atlanta is another <laughs> 
I mean, it's a totally different animal. Somebody even told me before I had a good friend of mine who used to actually be on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. I did a podcast with named Claudia Jordan. She said, Mike, you're about to go on this show. It's different. Let me tell you, these people are totally different. And I'm like, Claudia, look, I was at ESPN. I've been on, I've been on national television yeah. for the last 16 years. I got a thick skin. I got tough skin. Man, these they, they can't say anything that I haven't heard. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Was I wrong, man? So they're, they're a different animal, man. You get judged like you've never been judged before, man. On your Instagram, uh, in the blogs, you know, your life changes dramatically. But from a fatherhood perspective, man, it's like, you know, my, my kids have filmed with me. They've been on the show. Um, and I had a moment where it wasn't the best moment for a father where my, my, my youngest daughter last season actually heard something that she's heard a million times before, but it was the first time that she heard it under the declare of cameras, which right. I shouldn't have put in that position and I shouldn't have allowed her to even want to be in that position. Um, and she heard something, she got emotional and it was something that just didn't, it didn't feel right for me. So now I'm very protective. Uh, I will make sure that, you know, if they're ever filming with me and I, I, I tried to, you leave it up to them if they want to film, uh, if they want to, you know, shoot with us, um, if they want to or not. But I won't allow them to be in a position where something could be said or done that's going to harm them. Even though they're grown, they're adults, and they can do whatever they want to, whatever. I just won't put them in that position anymore because of that incident. So, yeah, they, they like it. They embrace it. They enjoy Cynthia. They love Cynthia to death, man. It's just, uh, but it's a little bit different. And it's something I got to be uh, very cognizant of when it comes to my kids. Great, great. You're also in a situation, Mike, that a lot of people find themselves in, in blended families, fathers um, coming into a, a marriage and taking on their role of stepfather. How did you approach that? And do you, do you approach it differently, you know, being that you're, you're taking on a bonus daughter as opposed to having your own girls? Yeah, I mean, well, with Noah and I, we, we, we just automatically kind of just clicked. I mean, it was so organic. So we never forced anything. And I think that's the best advice I've ever given anybody. I can give anybody when it comes to a blended family. Cynthia did not force herself on my daughters. My daughters didn't force themselves on her. It just kind of happened organically. You know, like you just kind of go with the flow. And that's one of the big reasons why Noel and I are so great today. And I love her to death like my own kids. You know, I call her my bonus daughter, but then, you know, I don't consider her stepdaughter at all I consider her my blood in a sense you know what i have she has and you know i do anything for that young lady you know she's about to turn 21 years old but it just happened man and you know she actually lived with me for like six months while cynthia actually lived here in atlanta and my daughters were out there too and it's we just kind of bonded and had a great time man. so you know I, I just don't force anything uh i try and listen uh to her concerns if she has any or whatnot uh, we become confident. Sometimes we gang up on Cynthia, which Cynthia doesn't like. But, you know, it's just it's a lot of fun, man. And she's just a, a, a brilliant young lady. And uh, I'm just so happy and so proud of everything she's been able to accomplish and what she's doing and, and being so brave by even coming out and admitting to the world. You know what her what she is. You know when it comes to her, uh, her sexual her sexuality. So all that stuff, man, just means the world to me. And I'm always here for Noel, and, and and I know she's got my back as well. Awesome, man. A couple more questions, Mike, and I'll get you out of here. Um, curious, you have daughters, obviously. You, you, we've touched on that, but do you do you find yourself? Do you view yourself as as a role model, a father figure for 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 men? 
um, that may not have that that dad figure like you experience growing up. Maybe guys in the industry that you've you've taken on um, a role of mentor, or, or you know, guys like me, younger guys in the industry who looked up to you. How do you approach that? Um, maybe from a father figure perspective. Uh, as far as like telling them about being a dad. Yeah, like, yeah. Just setting that example. If they if they come to you about you know fatherhood questions, have you had that experience? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of guys, especially you know, that just had daughters, you know, obviously, or especially daughters, but you know, even sons, whatever, and just the approach of being a father. Uh, I always tell people it's kind of different. Everybody's got their own personalities. You know, everybody's got their own approach. So I don't look at myself as a role model. I will give myself as an example. Now, mm-hmm. if you choose to use this example, if you like what you see, then you can do it because I don't like to push myself or my theories or my, you know, my, my experiences on anybody else. But when somebody comes and talks to me, I'm always honest too. You know, like I'm just, you know, that's why I enjoy doing this podcast with you because you know, I want people to think that, you know, I've been this perfect dad because that's what people have seen in, in the media. That's mm-hmm. what people have seen on Instagram. Oh, he loves his daughter so much, which I do. And he's the great father. He's I made a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. I made so many mistakes and I, I'll be the first one to tell people that I made those mistakes. And that's one of the reasons that I put open mic out too, is because people saw this image of what they thought I was or whatnot, yeah. and they didn't know the total background. So that fatherhood part of it is a huge part of it. And uh, I, so I want people to know uh, that I've made these transgressions, but at the same time made these transformations. So when people come and ask me advice about being a father, I give them everything and not sugarcoat any of it, and basically you know let them know where I am now, and, and hopefully that helps them out. What was the turning point? point for you mike as a dad to, to to turn that corner and and i guess get it right for lack of better words i mean just you know when you when you there was a jay-z song man it's like on 444 if you listen to the album 444 mm-hmm. that's my life yeah it really is my life from everything it's just like i still get emotional listening to it and you know it, it was just one song and if my children know i wouldn't even know what i would do right you know yeah i'd live without the pain you know like this like Santa Claus ain't real. You know, the, the man that they look up to, the man that they think is this great guy, really ain't crap. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So when I heard that song, it was like three years ago. It just changed perspective. Along with the story that my ex-wife said, you know, a while back about that that could be your daughter or whatnot, mm-hmm. all that type of stuff, it was just a, a process. So I don't think it was like one light that went off that says, you know, I'm going to be a great dad right now. It was a process, a lot of healing that I had to have inside myself because until you heal yourself, Jamar, until you go through the process of finding therapy and getting these emotions out of you, you don't even realize you're doing anything wrong a lot of times. Yeah. That's what people with problems have or any kind of addiction or whatever. When you got these problems or whatever, you don't realize you actually have a problem until you wake up one morning like, you know what, look yourself in the mirror and then you say, man, this is hurting me. I really have a problem and I need to do something about it. So when I got the help that I needed, became the wake up call I needed. And uh, thank God it did because, you know, it's salvaging my relationship with my kids and everybody else in my life. And that's, that's great. Mike, last question. I'll get you out of here on this. Um, 2020 has been a wild year for everyone. I mean, we've all seen what's been going on in the news. Um, I'm just wondering how has um, the death of George Floyd and most recently the, the incident in Wisconsin, how have you dealt with that? Um, as a black man, as a father, and how do you just wrap your your head around what's been going on in the country this 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 these last four or five months? 
it's hard. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the, uh, the news conference in Kenosha right now, mm-hmm. uh, talking about curfews and unrest. And, and you see, you know, white supremacists, these armed vigilantes, whatever they want to call them, shooting protesters or whatnot. Man, it's just it's scary right now. It really is. I, I told my daughters, I said, you know, on November 4th, they won't go outside. Because yeah. November 3rd, I believe this election, if he loses this election, if Trump loses this election, I just believe that there's going to be a lot of civil unrest. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people that's just going to be taking pot shots. And I'm scared for my yeah. children. But I'm also encouraged. And the reason I'm encouraged is because I saw their passion after the George Floyd death. I saw their anger. I saw their 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 their, their fight. I saw that they were being strong, even when I was feeling down and thinking, oh, my gosh, how are we going to change this or whatever? And they encouraged me. So when you saw us out protesting or whatnot or marching and going out with the crowds, whatever, they were leading the way. They were insisting that we go. Even if I was afraid, like I didn't know what was going to happen or whatever, they wanted to go. And so to see the young kids and the reactions that they have and the attitudes that they have about changing this world, once again, as sad as it is, as mad as I'm at, I am when it comes to you know, unarmed black men being shot and killed in these streets or whatever by police officers or whatnot, I'm also encouraged by the young people, black, white, everybody who's going out there and trying to make this world different. So I'm going to stay encouraged. I'm going to stay positive. Like I said, 50 is a new life attitude for me. <laughs> and uh, we're going to change the world together. But I know the kids are going to be the ones that's leading the way. Well, that's that's great. My great place to put a bow in this conversation. I appreciate you, man. Before I let you go, tell people how they can find you on social media, plug your book, where they can reach you, um, where they can purchase the book, all that good stuff. Uh, you can reach me on social media on uh, Twitter, Instagram at It's My Kill, I-T-S, My Kill. Of course, you can get the book Open Mic, Four Word by Cynthia Bailey. Uh, anywhere books are sold, Amazon, you can go to Barnes & Noble's, BAM, obviously there whatnot also got uh, open mic sessions that i'm doing on my youtube page as well on open mic sessions youtube page you know taking little bits and pieces from the open mic book and having a panel discussion talking about several different things like uh, the black man pandemic and what women need and whatnot and all that type of stuff and of course you know with cynthia bailey we're about to get married 10 10 2020 and you can catch me on the real housewives of Atlanta on as well my man thank you for joining me on the fatherhood podcast Anytime, Jamal. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right. I want to thank my man, Mike Kill, for joining me today. And as always, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Fatherhood Podcast. If you like what you heard today on any of the previous episodes, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes. You can find the Fatherhood Podcast on social media at the Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram. And be sure to like the Fatherhood Podcast page on Facebook. Until next time, I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is the Fatherhood Podcast.